Today on CityCast Denver. What would happen if there were no nurses? If there was no one to stand at the bedside to listen and to care? Or if there were too few nurses to shoulder the burden of keeping us and our loved ones alive? It's a bleak future that's fast approaching as nurses are leaving the profession in droves, even compared to other industries. Earlier this year, the American Nurses Foundation surveyed hundreds of Colorado nurses and found that 18% plan to quit their jobs in the near future. That's nearly one in five. Today, I'm speaking with Nurse Tara Reinders, who stepped back from the bedside during the pandemic and is looking for new ways to support our nurses. Because if we can't figure out how to support nurses now, then what? Today is Thursday, December 16th, 2021. I'm Avery Lill, and this is CityCast Denver. Well, Tara, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. Thank you, Avery. So nice to be here. I have to ask, how are you doing right now? It has been almost two years into this pandemic. Yeah, thank you for asking. You know, I think at this point, it's, um, you know, when there's disaster, there's a heroic response and there's a sense of support and care that comes from the community and from the systems we work in. Um, And then at a certain point, we plateau and then start to go back down. And I feel like we're, um, as a profession, starting to feel, uh, I guess I can speak for myself, I'm starting to feel at times a bit hopeless as things have, you know, continued to to carry on as long as they have. So there's a sense of just sadness around all of this being our new um, normal. And yet, um, you know, along alongside that, just, you know, seeing the the ways that we have come together as a profession and the ways that we support one another is really striking too. But I think overall, I'm feeling sad. Yeah. Can you just help me understand what it is that nurses are actually facing right now on a day-to-day basis? I think nurses, um, you know, from my perspective, are very overwhelmed, um, very understaffed. I think they're looking at the way the systems have responded to this crisis and not feeling very supported. I think, you know, it, we have a crisis of a nursing shortage and um, and so there's also disparity of pay as we bring in um, traveling nurses into the mix to, to fill these holes, which are so needed. But, you know, then you have nurses who've been there for years making much less than the nurse next to them. Because traveling nurses typically make a lot more than a nurse who's permanently at a hospital, right? Yeah, absolutely. That disparity in pay is really difficult for those who stay in their jobs and are making three to four to five to sometimes 10 times less than the traveling nurse um, to do this. And so there's a a sense of feeling disrespected for um, our commitment to staying and caring for the way that we do. Um, Yeah. There is so much to unpack there. And I think nursing during a pandemic, it would be hard no matter what. But tell me more about the supports that are missing that would make a difference. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's many ways you can look at support. And one being, you know, just the basic needs uh, um, for a human. 
And a lot of those go to the wayside when you're nursing at the bedside because you're so busy or if you're understaffed and you're um, in control of your patient's safety that you don't even feel comfortable taking a lunch break. So I think, you know, a a simple support of having um, an extra nurse who goes around and offers lunch breaks so that you know that your patients are being cared for so you can take your 30-minute lunch break in a 12-hour shift. That's not even happening. Um, So just these basic needs aren't being met. Um, so that would be one support. Another support would be, you know, there should be a budget line in our in our healthcare systems that's focused. The sole focus would be on on wellness and care for nurses, which would include, you know, giving them time off or maybe giving them funding to to be able to care for themselves in different ways, to have workshops and um, built-in programs that they get paid to go to and experience to help um, bolster their resiliency and help care for them. To have times of reflection as healthcare providers, we, we don't reflect upon what we just did, what we've just been through. Um, and that's, you know, also being able to voice the moral injury, the, this um, this idea that we are asked to do things that we don't believe in, that we know isn't necessarily helping the patient, but because of the systems that we work in, um, we have no other choice. And, and so to be able to voice that and reflect upon that and see if we can create some type of change. What's an example of a moral injury like that? So an example would be, you know, during the pandemic, when um, our patients were dying, they were having to die alone because we couldn't allow family members in. And we know that when someone is dying, that they need to be around those who love them the most um, around their family and same for their family. They want to be with them. But we said, no, you can't be with your, your loved one right now. And so we were the ones as acting family for them. And we know that's not um, ideal, but also for this idea of the larger, uh, for safety, for our, you know, the greater good. And we made this decision, but it also weighs on us. And then then we're asked to be in this place that we haven't been trained for. You know, one nurse told me, I checked all the lines and as the patient was dying, I was doing all my charting and then the patient died. And, and then I thought, you know, I don't think I once sat with the patient or said anything to the patient, or offered, you know, a blessing to the patient as they were dying. And now that guilt weighs on this nurse, um, and she isn't able to go back and change that. That is heavy. That is so much to have on anyone's shoulders. And then to take that and to not even have time to eat lunch, or to feel that if you do that, you're compromising your patient's safety, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. I also feel like you mentioned the public change and how people are viewing nurses. Just that last year, you know, nurses, everyone was howling for the community and for the profession and calling nurses heroes. And that kind of seems like people have moved on. What do you think changed? Yeah, I think we can only stay in that heroic phase after a disaster for so long. And really, that was just, you know, um, in many ways, a Band-Aid. It was us doing what we what we could to show up for one another, for first responders specifically, but it doesn't really get to the root of the problem. And so when you don't get to the root, you're never really um, shifting or transforming the outcomes. And so although that was appreciated and um, felt really good, systems weren't changed by that. And so we're still dealing with the same issues that we've been dealing with way before COVID. COVID's just shown a light on um, the burnout that's always been there. And as a part of that burnout, nurses are leaving the profession, right? Absolutely. Turnover is incredibly high right now. Um, there's a decrease in enrollment for nursing school. There's, 
you know, Kentucky just um, declared a crisis of a nursing shortage. It's, yeah, it's a really hard time for everyone. And what does that mass exodus mean for hospitals or for patients even? You know, I think it's just really scary. I think it, it makes it difficult for us to be able to operate safely in the hospital. And so, you know, you have declarations of we're now operating from crisis mode. And so just you know, when we have this shortage, we can only do so much, in, in other words. And that's what we're saying. Now that's our baseline that we're working from. And I, you know, I think the money is there. So it's just reallocating our funds um, appropriately and, and, and holding our systems and healthcare systems specifically accountable for, for the spending and where that goes and honoring our frontline workers um, through, through pay to begin with. Yeah. And after two years of living in this crisis, what do you go back to or what do you remember about what you wanted to do in nursing in the first place? It's the joy. It's the joy and the sacred space of um, being with another human being, whether it's um, the hardest time of their lives and knowing that you're standing there with them and holding that space and healing and caring for them in the best way that you can, the, the way that they deserve, or if they're having a baby and holding that space of joy with them. Um, but it's a sacred um, moment. And I think that's why we go into it, because we want to make a difference in other people's lives and when the systems and, and COVID are making it difficult for that to happen, it, it just wears on you. Yeah. And you're focusing more of your time on your nonprofit, the clinic, and it supports nurses and helps try to build that sacred space and protect that for people. Tell me more about the work that you do. Yeah, so at the clinic, we create um, arts and play-based workshops for healthcare providers um, in the hospital setting. And we do virtual workshops as well as in-person now and um maintaining safety protocols. But what we do is use the arts and play to get back to this idea of the joy that um, comes from caring for another human being and taking away all these other barriers and helping us get into our creative selves. What's a play-based workshop for nurses? It's where we play together, where we have roles that uh, no one even knows about until they arrive. And we play out, we play together in these ways where um, we act out different scenarios and we dance and we create movement together. And um, yeah, we're, we're crawling around on the ground sometimes, we're drawing, and it's just creating a safe atmosphere through trauma-informed care um, so that people feel safe to get back into this childlike curiosity and wonder of, um, of who they are. And, and, and in many ways, we're using that disruption and that play to, um, to reevaluate some of the ways that we show up in, in healthcare and to heal some of the, the wounds that we have from all the trauma we've experienced. And you've done this work in hospitals across Denver. What have you heard from nurses about what that kind of play and what creating dance has meant for them personally and in their professions? It's been really incredible. And I think that's, for me, um, similar to, you know, caring for patients and them saying or watching them heal and get better in certain ways. Um, it's the same as watching, you know, nurses come in and transform into um, trusting themselves, into recognizing they have a voice and a creative voice that they want to be heard now. They want to sing and dance and shout from the rooftops um, and just recognizing that they have needs and then being able to watch them state their needs and figure out how to get those needs met. Um, 
yeah, it's been really incredible because after the workshops, they don't want to stop meeting. And so we continue to meet monthly um, with some participants and creating new, being creative in different ways and honoring each other. We did COVID stories in the height of COVID where we met and uh, wrote our stories out, reflections and created movement to that. And it was when everyone was howling and we howled back at them. I remember when I met you. It was the first day we collected PPE in the hospital. There were five cases of COVID in Colorado and the reality of what could uh, come our way was just appearing. You had a cough, but we're happy and hopeful. We admitted you that day, a Friday, and by Tuesday, you were very sick. In the weeks since, I've not stopped wondering about how you're doing, how your family is coping as our first COVID-19 patient. Since our meeting, I've had the privilege of caring for you in the ICU, cheering your progress, and doing what I can to convey how much we, your healthcare team, your family, and your community want you to pull through stronger and more resilient after this. a space for reflection too and um, to look at what we're dealing with from a different um, part of our brains. We're in fight or flight a lot of the time in healthcare, especially in the hospital. And so we're not operating from a sense of curiosity and wonder. And so we create that space to, to, um, to look at things differently. That sounds beautiful. Well, tell me what is on your mind right now as we head into winter. Yeah, this is this is a hard time normally just for flu season in the hospital. And then with COVID, it's um, it's a whole nother level of intensity. And um, I think what would be on my mind would just be wondering how people are caring for themselves, what they're doing, what precautions they're putting into place, what support systems they have, who do they rely on, um, what do they need to schedule into their busy lives in order to, to make sure that their hearts are being cared for. Um, are they seeing a therapist during this time, especially in the holidays where it can get hard? Um, you know, what grief are they holding? Who can they share that with? And you mentioned earlier that you're feeling kind of hopeless. Is there anything giving you hope? Mm, yeah, thanks for, for circling back. I, I would have to say um, I am a RISE peer responder at Denver Health. And I have received so much hope from this program. And it is a program that any Denver Health staff member can call. It's a, it's a phone number and we're trained and I'm a, proud to be a peer responder. We're trained to respond at any time of the day or night to anyone in need, whether they just wanna talk about what's happening. Um, I've just, this is one of the only programs I've seen in healthcare systems that are um, really making a difference and so that in the moment when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're feeling hopeless, there's someone you can call who's going to listen and encourage you and hold that space for you. Um, so that's given me a lot of hope. Well, I just want to thank you so much. Thanks for being on CityCast Denver. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the time and space. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. More than 10,000 people in Colorado are dead from COVID-19. It's especially sobering that more people died this year than last year, even though there's a vaccine now. 
According to Westward, COVID deaths rose again last week, and 84 percent of people in the hospital are unvaccinated. Hospitals across Colorado are strained by the number of COVID patients they're seeing, too. Denver Health CEO Robin Wittenstein told Colorado Public Radio, our system is on the brink of collapse. So if you are on the fence about when to get your booster or a first shot, now, before the holidays, is a great time. It's also noteworthy that the Tri-County Health Department is officially splitting up. Arapahoe County announced Tuesday that it will leave the 73-year-old partnership, according to Denver 7. That's not a huge surprise since Adams and Douglas counties made similar decisions earlier this year. Douglas County was the first to leave because it disapproved of a mask mandate and other COVID-19 restrictions. All three counties will contract the Tri-County Health Department services through the end of 2022 as they develop transition plans and explore options for single county health departments. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye, y'all. Not only can I not say it, it doesn't make sense. It's not like it's an acronym anyone knows.